In one of my earliest memories, I walk behind my father to the furnace shed. He wears a long black coat that gathers up fallen leaves, and a staff makes a little crunch when he stabs it into the path. My apron is so thick that my knees bang against it, and the autumn air is smoky on my face. Suddenly I trip over the hem of his coat. My nose hits ancient wool. He stops dead. My heart pounds, but I recover my balance, and we walk on. When we reach the shed, I take a gasp of fresh air before being swallowed up. Gil is inside, shoveling coal into the arch of the furnace mouth, which roars orange. My father's finger emerges from his sleeve and points to a metal screen Gil made for me. There is a little stool behind it, and at just the right height, a couple of peepholes covered with mesh are cut into the metal. I must not move from the stool in case something spills or explodes. We are boiling up vatfuls of urine to make a thick syrup that eventually will become phosphorus. After a while, the stench of sulfur and ammonia is so strong that it almost knocks me off my stool. I can't breathe properly, and my throat is hot, but I hold firm and don't let my back slump. Gil is like a black shadow, moving back and forth, a twist of his upper body, a jerk of the shovel, a stooping out of sight, another turn, the racket to falling coal, and then the flames roar fiercer, until I think the furnace will blow apart and the shed, Selden, the woods, the world will all fly away in pieces. But my father isn't worried, so I feel safe, too. He stands at his high desk by the door and puts his left hand to his forehead as he writes. The only bit of his face I can see under his wig is his beaky nose. This black and orange world is crammed with a million things that he knows and I don't. I want to be like him. I will be soon, if I can only pay attention and learn fast enough. 2. I have no memories of my mother because she is a skeleton under the earth all the time I am a child. When I was born, she died, and though I appreciate the symmetry of this, I'm not satisfied. It's hard finding out more about her, because I'm not allowed to ask my father, and Mrs. Gill, who looks after me, is a woman of few words. However, on my sixth birthday, May 30th, 1712, I asked Mrs. Gill the usual questions about what my mother was like, and she suddenly sighs deeply, puts down the great pot she is carrying, it is the week for brewing up the elderflowers, and takes me on a long journey through the house past the queen's room, through a series of little doors, and up a flight of narrow stairs, until we come to a low room with a high lattice window and a sloping floor. She says, That's where you were born. The only furniture is a rough-looking chest and a high bed shrouded in linen, which I look at with wonder. The bed is surely too small and clean for such an untidy event as a birth. Why? I say. Because everyone has to be born somewhere. Why this room and not a bigger one? Because it's quiet and ideal. She leans over the chest in that Mrs. Gill way of not bending her back or knees, but just lowering her upper body. I go closer as she brings up the lid, and I see that the inside is lined with white paper, but is otherwise nearly empty. It smells like nothing else on earth, a dusty sweetness of folded-away things. And out comes a cream-coloured shawl like a spider's web, a tiny bonnet, a baby's tucked nightgown, and a coil of pink ribbon with a pin in one end to keep it rolled up.